never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that stands with the actors and the writers and all the crazy stuff going on in Hollywood uh, right now. Um, we hope that AI does not take over, and we'll explain more as we go. Um, my name is Drew. I'll be your host of the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Hey, man, how's it going? Here. <laughs> What's how, up? Uh, how was your week? I mean, it hasn't quite been a week. Uh, we're recording a little bit early this week, so um, I feel like we were just talking on the last episode, but uh, no, yeah, just hanging out, <laughs> playing Nintendo as as always. How about you? Um, well, this is a, sh well, yeah, it's, we recorded Thursday, we're jumping on the podcast on Tuesday, um, because you had to change things on me. Uh, <laughs> um, it's all good. The, uh the I watched some stuff this weekend that is heavily worth discussing. Um, other than that, I've been trying my best to keep up with this writers, actors, strike stuff going on in Hollywood and the news. Um, it's really kind of interesting. It's really kind of. Some of it's a little hard to follow, to be completely honest, because there's things I don't know about. And there's, you know, contractual stuff that, you know, I don't want to bore everybody, but it's like well, what's ultimately what's going to happen is. Everyone's going to go, when's this show coming back or when's this movie coming out? And it's not for a while because everything is like heavily on hold. So um, we're going to break it all down for you the best we can. Uh, this prop, there's some really great other videos and stuff online of people breaking it down. And what does it mean for this? And what's it mean for this? And um, there's some great stuff that you can actually look at and some really good articles explaining a lot of stuff. However, uh, we'll talk about it and uh, give our thoughts on it and whatnot. So. Um, it could be an interesting show. So that's what we're going to have for news. And then we'll do our list like usual. So uh, here we are, one episode into our five, fifth year. And um, <laughs> it's I hope it's not a boring one, you know? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, the writer's strike, I think I'm still trying to uh, soak in the situation and kind of get a good feel for where I stand. But uh, I do think it's an interesting thing where you see these people online and I feel like people are just they're finding pictures of different celebrities that are picket picketing as part of the uh, strike. And based on their own personal opinions about whatever celebrities in the picture, they like use that to voice either their support <laughs> or their non-support of the issue. And I think it's really weird that people are like kind of playing favorites in this weird like gossipy celebrity sort of way as opposed to just looking at the issues at the core. And I think especially when uh, some of the AI stuff comes into it, like I think there's some really important things going on within this whole situation when it comes to 
how artwork and entertainment is going to be viewed moving forward. So I think it is an important story and uh, we can unpack it some more later. But yeah, yeah. I'm still at the point where I'm still kind of taking it in. And I don't know if that sounds good or bad, but that's just kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I just because of what's going on, I feel for him and I totally understand the pain. Um, but let's talk about some stuff that we did watch because we support <laughs> the industry and I heavily support, um, one of the, like heavily support the stuff I watched, but one of them I was blown away by and like totally wanted to talk about it. So what did you watch this week, man? So I, I haven't watched much. Um, I had a really funny, this kind of fits more into, um, <laughs> not necessarily watching or reading, but just kind of my general observations of the world, because I had a really funny thought earlier today. And it comes from um, I work remotely most of the time, like I'm working at home and uh, which is pretty cool because I work a desk job. And uh, during my breaks and during my lunch, I'll usually take my dog for walks during those times. So it's kind of a nice way to get away from the desk, uh, go enjoy some fresh air, take the dog for a walk. Um, I have a husky, so I try to walk her as much as possible. But I had a funny realization today because I realized when you're outside and you're taking your dog for a walk, you always come to those moments where you come to the end of the block and you're trying to decide which direction you're going to turn or are you going to keep going straight. And a lot of times what makes your decision is you see somebody else either walking their dog or riding their bike or coming towards you from some other direction. And most of the time, I usually just go a different direction. <laughs> that person is coming. Like I always choose the other way. And it's not because I don't, it's not because I'm being antisocial. It's more of a, I have 15 minutes for this break. I just want to cover as much distance as possible. Uh, usually I have a headphone in and I'm like listening to a podcast or something. So I'm not like necessarily trying to interact with other people and their dogs and open that whole can of worms. But my realization today was I'm essentially just playing Pac-Man when I do this on the city streets. <laughs> like if the city streets are a giant Pac-Man maze, I'm literally walking around trying to avoid people like they're Pac-Man ghosts. And it kind of made me chuckle. And I know other people play the same game too. And I don't know that they're realizing that they're playing a real life version of Pac-Man, but I've had the same thing happen to me where I'm walking towards some other dog walker and I see them intentionally go a direction to avoid me. So I just thought that was hilarious. And uh, especially talking about the, AI overlords taking over and all that. I thought that was a funny little lighthearted observation I had there. So, <laughs> um, Drew, I don't know if you you play Pac-Man at all when walking your dog, but uh, that's one of my ridiculous observations for this week. <laughs> I never thought about it because I'm always lost in a podcast or something like yeah. that. Like, or, you know, completely drowned out in my own, like, spacing out that I'm not even thinking about that. But that is a very interesting way of playing pack and <laughs> walking your dog <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's, i guess it's akin to like if you're crossing a really busy road you can think of it as playing frogger but uh that gets yeah. a little bit into less safe ter uh, territory um but honestly like i said earlier it's been a bit since or it's been like pretty short since we recorded like I kind of just had the weekend in between these podcast episodes so I haven't really watched much like it's one of those weeks where I feel like I've watched 
some stuff, but it's kind of the same stuff I've been watching. Like, I watched the new episode of My Adventures with Superman. Still really cool. I'm still loving that show. Uh, the newest episode had Intergang in it, which was awesome. But I one trend I'm seeing with this show is they're using a lot of tech-based stuff to replace like actual superpowers from like the superman comics if that makes sense and oh, i like just the, kind like, of hope like that and weird stuff kind of with like the villains like uh oh. i mentioned like livewire last week like livewire yeah. is kind of more of a tech-based hero than just like a character that actually has superpowers and like moving forward she might end up just having meta human like lightning based abilities but right or electricity based abilities but right now she's just has like some cool tech stuff she uses and then intergang came in and they kind of did the same thing where uh like silver banshee for example is a uh has like tech based she had like a like a robotic helmet thing that would shoot out like sonic blasts which is it's pretty cool but the silver banshee in the comics is a lot cooler and sure. uh that's kind of my main complaint with the show so far because if you couldn't tell from my v review last episode i'm loving this show i think it's really really fun and they're doing a lot of really smart uh just awesome things with it but i just kind of hope that all the all the cool metahuman stuff doesn't end up just being tech-based solutions moving forward if that makes sense oh, um yeah. It does. Um, and it's also like a little bit of an adaption to time and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you know, how well, how like the ages have progressed. It's kind of like when I said, like, so I'm reading the, you know, Batman from the beginning, like, you know, Batman, the regular Batman from like starting from like 1940 or whatever. And then um, Detective Comics from 1939. And you're starting from the beginning and it all starts with like Great Depression era commentary, like, oh, my jewels from the Great Depression have yeah. been stolen, you know, my family heirlooms, blah, 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 like, you know, stuff like that. And it eventually kind of builds. And now we're in a part of our time frame where we're dealing with a lot of tech and artificial intelligence stuff. Um, that so, makes sense. Yeah. You know, like it's just a it's the comic books evolving with the time and being a social commentary like they always have been. So um, yeah, I have not had a chance to check out the show yet, but that's just my thinking yeah i do think you need to check this one out drew because i do think you're gonna like this show a lot but i don't know if um <laughs> you're not somebody who had ever like be afraid to recommend a dc animated show to because i no. think <laughs> I, <laughs> for the I most part the you DC, like most of them so <laughs> i love the dc animation stuff i think they do they really do some really great work there has been a couple that i've been like nah, that was okay but for the most part i think it's just fantastic uh work that they do whether it be like the tv shows or the movies whatever um yeah but yeah um is that really kind of it for your watching yeah, for me, it's kind of like, I think I might have watched another episode or two of Based on a True Story, but yeah, I'm at the point in that show where I don't know what episode number I'm on, but I'm just thinking it's an awesome, fun, just hilarious, but suspenseful ride. But I don't know if I have anything new to say about that one. And then I'm still kind of slowly making my way through My Hero Academia, trying to catch up with the anime. But yeah, nothing new and crazy that I wanted to throw out there. Um, what do you got this week? All right. Well, I mentioned that I was watching the show After Party on Apple TV. Um, I am I was late to the party, if you will. 
um, in terms of watching that. Uh, and I say that because it was like only a few weeks after I finished the season one, season two began. Um, so the first two episodes are available right now for you to watch. Probably by the time this podcast drops, the third episode will be out. But ultimately, season two is off to a good start. Um, new sure. murder, new murder, uh, same detective. One of the, two of the original, two of the characters from the first uh, season are in it as well. So it's like, hey, there's another murder, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's off to a good start. So I look forward to seeing that play out. Um, the uh, I watched a movie on Netflix called The Outlaws. Um, I'm gonna recommend this in terms of it's just it's literally a just a fun rom com. Uh, heist film, <laughs> I guess is the best way of wording it. Uh, this is uh, Adam Devine, Pierce Brosnan, Nina Dobrev, uh, Michael Rooker's in this. Um, it's basically so Adam Devine is getting married to Nina Dobrev, and he hasn't met her parents yet. And she thought her parents were like doing some like missionary work or whatever in uh, Brazil. So she hasn't seen him in a few years. They're coming back for the wedding. He gets to meet him. Turns out that they're actually international bank robbers. And uh, he gets caught up in their shenanigans, which gets Nina Dobrev kidnapped. And then it all comes down to, we got to go rob banks and, like, save the save the fiancé and that kind of thing. Um, so it's, like I said, it's this weird rom-com slash heist film bank robbery kind of a movie. Um, <laughs> nice. That plays on the comedy really well. Adam Devine is just absolutely ridiculous in this movie. Like he's always, I always thought he was a good physical comedic actor and all the stuff I've seen him in, but this is like over the top. Um, they make a really funny James Bond joke because Pierce Brosnan played James Bond once. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it was just, a, it was a fun time and it's a short movie. It's on Netflix. So if you're looking for something quick and simple to watch, have at it. It's, it's definitely worth their watch. Nice. Uh, it's not the greatest film in the world, but it's definitely worth the watch. Um, the big one and the important one that I watched this week was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. <laughs> I knew you were going to have this one, so I'm excited oh, to hear about it. Let me tell you, this movie is a, this movie's massive, okay? I'm going to do my best to, because I really want to talk about this, but I will talk about this in the vein of I will not talk about anything outside of the trailer because I don't want to spoil the movie for you. Um, the movie you know, in the trailer, there's that scene where the submarine gets hit by, like, a torpedo or something? Right. Remember, remember that scene in the trailer? It's a very yeah. quick clip, but it's in the trailer. That's, like, the opening of the film. And there's this submarine attack thing that happens at the beginning. And you don't really know what you're seeing. You don't really know what you're watching. You just Clearly, there's this military thing with a submarine. And once that sequence is over, you're just like, okay, I'm with you. And then you watch the next sequence in the movie and you realize how physically large this movie is going to be. It's massive. Like, it's huge in terms of scale, in terms of scope, the the, um, the set pieces, the stunts, everything is just like literally turned up to 11. And we, we awesome. should expect that because it's a Tom Cruise movie and it's a Mission Impossible film. Um, the... Uh, so the movie opens and you're just like on the ride right away and the exposition scenes are timed really well. And I say that because it's a spy espionage thriller 
So they're going to have some downtime with us with exposition because they got to get story out. It can't just be nonstop action. But if you're an action fan, you're going to love this movie because there is a ton of it for you. And it's all spectacle in the best way. And it's all done in a hyper realistic way because it's a Tom Cruise film. Um, the desert sequence uh, with the horses and everything, that sequence was intense and fantastic. Um, the And like I said, I'm going to stay with the trailer on this. Um, there's the car chases in this movie are ridiculous. And what you can't see in the um, in the trailer is that Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise are riding in the same car and in the car chases, right? What you can't yeah. see in the trailer is that they're handcuffed to each other um, <laughs> for reasons nice. that have to do with the fact that something happens in the film. But they're handcuffed together. And what's interesting about the run is that, like, they jump in and Tom Cruise is like, you're going to have to drive because how we're handcuffed. And she drives for a little bit and then and then they're able to switch places. And she's like, I can't do this. You have to drive. So they have to drive. But he's handcuffed from across the car to her like he, they had to switch seats. So his hands in a, in a position that shouldn't be for him to drive. And he's got to do all these drifting stunts. And you're just like, holy crap. <laughs> um, but it's Tom Cruise. So it's all done 100 percent real. And that's the thing is like, well, how do we make how do we make a drifting car chase scene harder? Let's handcuff the people together um, <laughs> because it's Mission Impossible, right? Yeah. Um, the train sequence at the end of the movie. Look, we all know that the train sequence is in the movie. Um, the train sequence is absolutely uh, spine tingling. The. First off, if you didn't know, they built a train. No company would let them wreck a train, so they had to build one just to destroy it. So everything was done absolutely for real. And when you watch the train sequence, knowing that it was all real was even cooler because um, it was gripping, it was chilling, and I'm literally like, oh, my God, like literally like sinking into my seat, like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, I felt it. Um when you're watching like parts of the train break and stuff, you're like, e okay. Or like characters mm -hmm. almost falling off the train. You're like, okay. <laughs> um, but no, the way the whole thing played out, like whether you like the movie or not, the train sequence alone is worth the price of admission. Um, but watching how that all plays out, it's fantastic. The, uh, the bike jump, um, even though we've seen it, I think too many times because of commercials, um, it was still gripping to watch on an IMAX scene screen because of the size because of the scope of everything and how, how big they made it um so yeah dude this movie was fantastic the movie is it's mission impossible dead reckoning part one which means you're gonna expect a cliffhanger now i don't want to say it's a cliffhanger like the way like empire strikes back cliffhangs but when you get to the end of the movie it's very much a part one where like this closes but it really doesn't and you're just like okay, here we go. When does the next movie come out? You know, like that's, you know, I I really can't wait for the next movie because it was so good. I really want to see this movie again. It was fantastic. And I know I've said that a thousand times, but it's fantastic. <laughs> that That's awesome. I can't wait to see this one because I just imagine it's going to be just as suspenseful and, I, and, and I intense and spoil impressive anything, as the other like, ones. It's so big. And yeah. that was the thing that I was like, I'm like, this is going to be great. And it's a two hour and 45 minute movie. 
two hour and 43 minute movie and it doesn't feel like it at all. Like that's it goes, great. It, it literally like, I don't want to say it goes quick, but it like does definitely doesn't feel like the length. Um, the other thing about the movie is that there is no bonus scene at the end of the credits or in the mid credits. And I was wondering if there would have been now in most sacrilege. Movies, well, Tom Cruise is not one to put stuff like that in his movies, but this is a part one of two. So I was thinking there might've been something. And I looked it up online before the movie started. I did a quick Google before like trailers and everything started. And it said, no, there's not a bonus scene, but there is something at the end. It's not much, right? I will tell you this right now. It is an auto audio cue at the end of the credits. Um, if you wait for it, great. If you don't, it's okay. It's not going to do anything in terms of like, oh, I should have stayed. <laughs> um, so if you missed out, you're not, I don't think you're missing much. It's, it's a nice little nod to what you watched and where you're going, but it's not, I wouldn't freak out about it if you miss it. So nice. <laughs> well that's that's good to know um no i think i think it sounds awesome i'm super excited for seeing this sometime soon but uh my favorite aspect of what you're saying is that you're talking about the scope of this movie and how the uh the action scenes and the set pieces and everything is so big and impressive and i think that's awesome because it's tom cruise and you know he was going to be pushing for doing most of this stuff practically like doing real stunts actually like you said building an actual train to blow up in this crazy train action scene and uh that's something that's really cool because we both love the mcu of course but the mcu in recent years has been criticized for using way too much green screen when it comes to certain parts of the movie Instead of like, it'll be like a regular apartment that they'll film using a green screen instead of just actually going to like a regular New York apartment <laughs> filming in there. And so I think it's kind of there is something to be said in this day and age for actually doing big, big uh, real stunts, having like a massive scope for your movie, but actually doing it practically, because I feel like that's just going to, going to hammer home the suspense and the um, the weight of everything going on and might bring more people to the movie theater. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Yeah. Um, so, yes, see this movie, run to the theaters and see this movie. And I know we're about to get <laughs> with Barbie and Oppenheimer or Barbenheimer or whatever they're calling or Oppen Barbie or whatever they're calling it now, because it's kind of taken a life of its own. Um, I will be seeing, we're going to close these microphones and I'll be seeing Oppenheimer Friday morning. Uh, I got like the tickets to the very first showing of Oppenheimer Friday morning. I can't wait. They're saying it's the, it is the most important film of the century, which I think is interesting to say that. Um, and I can, I can probably guess why, um, but that's just because of political things going on in the world today. And then this movie's timely release. Um, but I can't <laughs> I can't wait for Oppenheimer. But in all seriousness, if I could have a chance to see Mission Impossible again on the big screen, I would. So I'm saying don't wait to don't wait to until it gets home to see it. Try and see it in the theater if you can. I don't know if you're behind on Mission Impossible movies, Pete. But um, yeah, if you can see this movie on the big screen, please do so. You'll do you'll be doing yourself a favor. So 
<laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. And uh, just to comment on the Oppenheimer stuff, this Oppenheimer looks great. I'm sure it's amazing. It's Christopher Nolan. So, you know, he's going to bring us something really special. But, you know, we are only 23 years into this current century. But I, I do think it's pretty bold to say this is the most important film of the century. And the film hasn't even technically come out yet. So, um I press X to doubt a little bit there, but I'm sure it's an amazing film. But then part of me is like, well, there's probably other movies that have came out this century that have might might have done a lot for like uh, different like social rights issues and uh, different stuff like that. So uh, that's a uh, eternal discussion that I guess we'll have to uh, continue that's some other time. I think for anything because I could turn around and say that Star Wars is the most important film of the century, and I'd probably be right. So actually. that would technically <laughs> be last century, though, right? It, it would be last century, yeah. and I feel like I'd be correct on that one to be honest, but. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's my opinion. Whatever. Anyway, let's talk <laughs> about some news, shall we? Everyone goes to Mission Impossible, but we need to talk about some news. Okay, so the we turned off the microphones, and we woke up the following morning, and the actors went on strike. Um. So we're on strike two, if you will, Hollywood. Um, we know we've been dealing with a writer's strike and uh, the writer's striked and they have been not working. So TV and film and everything kind of has been in a weird shutdown, if you will, or some things have still been in production. But this is a situation where the actors have officially shut everything down. Hollywood is on a complete standstill at the moment. Um, so I don't know what's being made. Um, I do have a couple uh, things that definitely got shut down. Uh, so I don't actually know what's in front of cameras right now and what's not outside of like the news and maybe reality stuff. But um, yeah, this is everything's crazy. So uh, the SAG after his national board officially called strike against major film and television companies as contracts with studios and uh, streamers broke down without a deal on July 12th. The work stoppage will impact 160,000 union members and began at midnight tonight. So literally we turn off the microphones and the strike began. Um, President uh, Fran Drescher said, we are being victimized by very by a very greedy enterprise. At some point you have to say, no, we're not gonna take it anymore. Um, so ultimately what's happening, and this is the thing, this is the thing that blew my mind because I really, honestly, I didn't know. Um, there is a, okay, hold on a second. I'm making sure I'm pulling up the right story, so I'm reading the proper right quotes and stuff. Oops, wrong one. There it is. Okay. Um, so this is messed up. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to kind of explain. The deal includes a proposal that background performers could be scanned using AI, get paid for one day's work, and then the studio could use that scan in perpetuity on any other project with no consent or payment for eternity. Right. So ultimately what happens is you, Peter, you got a chance to be in a movie called Man of Steel. Uh, yeah. How many, how many days did you work on that movie? I was on set two days. Two days. And were you yeah. paid for both days? Yeah. Okay. So ultimately what they're doing here is you would have, if this was going on when you were in Man of Steel, you could have gone on, they would have paid, they would have scanned you using their AI software. They would have paid you for your one day of work. 
and then sent you home. And then for the rest of the shoot, if they needed you to be on screen, they would AI generate you on the screen. You would not be paid for your likeness. End of conversation. And then for <laughs> the rest of time, they could use your image at any time they wanted to on a movie anywhere in the world. So <laughs> not paying so, for your likeness. Yeah. What's really funny about this, though, is uh, when I was an extra on Man of Steel, I actually did go into a room. Scanned? So, yeah, I, I literally did. Um, now, keep in mind, this was like 2011 when this happened. So this is over 10 years ago. AI wasn't what it is now. But and it didn't happen to every extra. It was kind of like whoever volunteered for it could do it. But I volunteered is, you know and I went. What's this that? First hand knowledge. Yeah. Talk so away, I man. <laughs> so basically, it's when it was the first day I was there. And uh, I was honestly just in the point where I was waiting to get on set. Uh, they kind of separated us into different groups of extras, and uh, we kind of sat in this room in um, one of the local restaurants that was uh, kind of commandeered by the movie studio. And uh, outside the restaurant on Main Street, they're basically shooting the uh, downtown Smallville scenes from Man of Steel. Sure. So this is the first day I was on set, and uh, I didn't actually get to go on set yet, and we were all just kind of waiting. And Literally, it was just waiting and waiting for hours. I think I was there for like seven or eight hours until I actually okay. got a chance to be on set in the background a little bit. And the next day I got to be on set a little more, which was awesome. But they were taking people and uh, I had to go to a different room of the building and they had this little like kind of like booth thing they set up with uh, black sheets. And uh, you went inside and basically they were just they just had a series of cameras like I think there was two or three cameras and I can't remember if it really scanned you like a uh I can't remember if I was scanned like um like with a rotating camera kind of like a uh the x-ray machine at the dentist's office I don't know if it was that sort of thing or if they just took pictures from every angle but the reason they were taking pictures of extras was because they wanted they basically wanted NPCs to use for um, CGI later on. So I was like, hell yeah, I want to do this because they could take my likeness. And then even if I don't make it on screen for the movie, maybe later on something will explode and you'll see my body <laughs> go flying out of an explosion or something. So I like really thought that was a cool opportunity. Now with all being with this all being said, I might have been scanned for AI. I'm not really sure. Like maybe there's yeah. some vault somewhere where they have uh, my likeness. You know, Warner Brothers has my scan from, uh, you know, 12 years ago. And maybe oh. <laughs> maybe I'll be watching some other movie and I'll see myself pop up as an NPC. I don't really know. But uh, you were hired as a walk on extra. So you're not a part of SAG. Yeah, that's but, true. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I say that in the sense that um, it makes me wonder um, like, I mean, obviously, like, this this was long enough ago that people weren't thinking about it. It just makes me wonder, like, yeah, you probably think it was cool. And I think any of us at the time would have been like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, do that. Like, whatever. Yeah. Now, like, in hindsight, it's like, hold on a second, you know. Um. So if I'm watching, you know, if I'm watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 and I see Peter in the background, it's like, hold on a second, guys. You know, <laughs> that's, that's my brother. When did you get to shoot in that movie? You know, but. <laughs> so what else is funny is I kind of 
forgot about this whole experience until you brought up the whole scanning thing today. I was like, that sounds kind of like what I did on Man of Steel, and I totally <laughs> forgot. So, well, dude, hopefully you get a residual check somewhere when I'll be. Uh, you'll start getting residual checks. Like, oh man, I guess I didn't realize I was in that movie. And if you did, and if that's the case, I want to know what movies you're in. So let me let right. us know what residual checks you pick up, man. Um, dude, if if they just want to keep putting me as like background characters in different DC superhero movies, I think I could be cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel for these actors, and when I heard about the AI thing, it's it's one thing to be it's one thing to be gone strike because of like wages and stuff, but then when you look at like, man, when you think about the AI thing, and you're just like, hold on a second, so like, you're telling me an actor can go on set, they're gonna get scanned, and then they're never gonna get paid for them being appearing in other stuff again? That's nuts, man. Um, so that's just that's just crazy to me in terms of compensation and stuff. Um, Bob Iger from Disney, um, says that, uh, he stands to make, so Bob, Disney CEO Bob Iger stands to make up to $27 million this year and said that the writers and actors unions are only adding to industry disruptions by striking. Um, and he's saying that they have unrealistic expectations of strikes. And I've seen reports from some of the actors stating that, like, you have CEOs like David Zazdaz, David Zaslav, and Bob Iger and stuff, who back in the day would have made, like, 30 times what an actor makes because of, you know, studio, while there residuals and, like, stuff coming in from multiple projects and stuff. Well, now they're making almost 400 times what the actors make because their studio heads, their CEOs, and what's yeah. being brought in product-wise and everything. So... Um, it's kind of interesting to like look at both sides of the coin on this. Um, Bob Iger also blamed CEO uh, Disney blames Marvel and Disney Plus shows for weakening audience focus and attention. Um, uh, Bob Iger talked about all of Disney's recent box office disappointments, including Elemental and Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny, saying that the company's focus on streaming has diluted people's interest due to the overwhelming amount of movies and shows. Um, I'm going to be very honest and say I feel that's very true in the sense of Marvel, specifically. Um, when I read that quote, I was like, I feel you on the Marvel standpoint specifically because I feel like Marvel has been in this weird flux of things ever since Endgame. Like, it's almost like we closed the book, but we got to keep going. And we're like, it feels like they don't have a plan, but they're just trying to pump out product because we want more Marvel. Yeah. Um, so I'm with them on that. As far as Indiana Jones goes, this is the first Indiana Jones in a while, so no. Um, and Star Wars, uh, yeah, we had the Skywalker saga end, but all we've gotten has been like Mandalorian and Andor. So I don't think that's delusion of uh, being diluting the water for Star Wars at all. We're still waiting for things that they've talked about. So, um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I'm 100% with Bob Iger, but, you know. I think it's a weird comment because I feel like it's more than just Marvel and Star Wars and streaming. Like I like commenting on like theater going audiences, attention spans and willingness to buy a movie ticket and stuff. There's a lot of things at play. Um, the economy's not doing super good. There's probably a lot of people struggling who 
might only be able to go to a couple movies this summer and they might choose to go to the movie their kid wants to go to or they might choose to go to the bigger superhero film because they know what they're going to get and they might feel better spending their money on that than you know some indie art house film that is a bit more of a wild card and uh i feel like there's just more at play than just being able to blame streaming for example saying that it's lowered everybody's attention spans like i feel like there's a lot more to that issue if that makes sense that's like my vague reaction to it yeah well here's the thing we've talked heavily about deadpool 3 if it um going into production and talked last week we talked a lot about wolverine's comic accurate costume awesome um the movie stopped production because of the strike Yep. Yeah, it sucks. I saw that. I saw that coming. <laughs> the Oppenheimer actors were in at the world premiere in London, and they walked out. They literally just got up and went, "Nope, I'm out," and left because they had to go strike. You know, um, and Nolan was like, "I get it." You know, um, this one, um, Mortal Kombat creator confirms that Carl Urban is joining the cast as Johnny Cage in the sequel. Sweet. <laughs> awesome, right? Awesome, right? Mortal Kombat 2 halts fire, uh, filming during SAG strike. Like, so I didn't know that. Yeah, keep going. Those stories, Carl Urban getting announced as Johnny Cage um, dropped, and then two hours later, I saw the story that Mortal Kombat 2 shut down filming. Right. So it's it's a crazy time we're living in, and this is this is almost unprecedented in terms of, like, things that were, like, you know, like what we're looking at, like how does, this is crazy. Um, House of the Dragon season two will still film amid the strike. And I was yeah, wondering I about why. this one. Yeah. Due to labor regulations in the UK versus the US, the local union's hands may be tied, meaning they can film over there and the actors and, and because of everything, they might be stuck filming regardless of the strike. Um, so hopefully that doesn't affect the quality of House of Dragon season two. Uh, yeah, and it's it also goes to show with depending on how long the strike goes on, we might have to start reaching out to um, the UK is a good example. We might be watching more British TV shows and stuff because maybe the stuff isn't coming out over here. Or um, as I've said before, there's an endless well of anime you can dive into, but um, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. So, yeah. Yeah. I Um, don't know. Well, uh, theme park characters replaced the haunted mansion cast at the red carpet because of the strike. So the actors who normally would have been there for the world premiere for the Haunted Mansion, the release, were replaced by Mickey, Minnie, and other theme park characters on the red carpet. Because, like, we're having this red carpet premiere, but we don't have any actors, so put the mascots out there to at least take pictures with and stuff. Um, it's weird that they wouldn't just cancel the premiere. You know, like, I, maybe keep yeah, the same wide release date, but, like, in the midst of all this, is it that tasteful to have a big... <laughs> Uh, premiere celebrating the movie and stuff. I don't know. One of the things that I did like is Tom Cruise was in a Zoom meeting negotiating a session to urge the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers um, to hear out the Guild's concerns on the issue of AI. Um, And he was specifically lobbying for fair pay with stunt workers 
specifically on that call and how important it is and everything. And I think that's kind of cool. And I talked about it before. I think Tom Cruise is a champion for the industry and he cares not just about his own films, but everyone's films. And he won, he cares about the audience because he wants us to have a good time at the movies. That's, you know, and he's been like that for a long time. So I thought it was really cool to see that he kind of, you know, Hey, I was in a meeting and I was trying to talk about this and hopefully they listened, you know? Yeah. He's like, he's like one of those guys that, you well i'm not gonna say me or you but a lot of people really don't want to like him <laughs> but he makes it really hard not to like him and i don't and, know uh, people don't like him but it's whatever I, I think it has a lot to do with scientology and then it has a lot to do with um back when he was dating katie katie holmes and that was like it's yeah. such a big tabloid um story i think people just got really annoyed with him back then but yeah. It was kind of in the midst of all that going on. I realized, like, everybody complains about this guy, but his movies are always awesome. So you have to look at it a little bit that way as well. And like I said, at this in this day and age, he makes it really, really hard not to like him. Even though Scientology, from everything I've seen, seems to be a very evil organization. But Tom Cruise, the personality he makes it really hard not to like him. So uh, I think that's really funny, but it is awesome that he's, uh, he's championing the uh, stunt guy and stuff like that. Like stunt guys probably deserve way more compensation than they're, than they're given. And on some movies, they might be more deserving of the big paycheck than some of the main actors. even. So, yeah, well, (laughs) you don't always have to like, like, I don't have to agree with Tom Cruise and his religious and political opinions. Right, but right. The guy seems he, we we constantly hear about how he's the nicest guy in Hollywood, and it sure looks that way when you watch him in interviews and interacting with others and everything. But he also makes really good movies. Yeah, and he's an entertainer, and I like his work, and I'm a big fan. So I don't like I said I don't have to agree like I don't have to agree with you on religious issues, but I'm a fan of yours, and I like doing the show with you. You know what I mean? Like, so at the end of the day, like I like his movies. You know, right on, right on. Um, Speaking of liking movies, um, James Gunn confirmed that Nathan Fillion will play Green Lantern Guy Gardner. We talked about this last week because it was kind of cool that he got cast, right? I was expecting this to kind of be a one-and-done thing. No, he's going to play Guy Gardner throughout the DCU. So apparently we're going to see Nathan Fillion as a Green Lantern quite often in the course of the MCU. (laughs) Well, it makes me think of how often does... uh... Guy Gardner actually show up in uh, sort of like big event um, stories in the DC comics. But to be honest, he does show up quite a bit in bit roles and stuff like that. And um, if we are getting a big Green Lantern presence in general out of these DC movies, yeah, there's going to be a lot of Guy Gardner. So that's pretty well, awesome. And uh, I like that Guy Gardner is a character that can be played up for laughs. And I feel like that's going to be the case with Nathan, with Nathan Fillion, but I'm not yeah. quite sure. So, well, do we do have that green lantern television series coming? That's for sure. Um, and there's a rumor that Damon Lindelof from lost Watchmen, the leftover leftovers will be the executive producer. Cool. Um, and, and I don't, and I don't really know how I feel about that. Cause Damon Lindelof, like I really liked lost and, I never finished the Watchmen show, but I enjoyed it. But I feel like he's got like a he's like a love hate writer. Yeah. 
people like you either love his work or you hate his work. There's really no in between. <laughs> or you love some of his work and hate some of his other work. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> but um, Tom King is supposed to be the writer. Um, Tom King, if you read comics, is a phenomenal comic author. Like he's so good. So whether Damon Lindelof's attached or not, Tom King being a writer on the show makes me really happy, um, and it makes me really excited. So. Whether we get Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, Jessica Cruz, uh, Boz, I'm drawing a blank on his name, whatever from the Earth Green Lanterns, I really look forward to uh, anything they give us. So, because Tom King's fantastic. So, yeah, and that's uh, cool that they're bringing in actual uh, comic writers as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, producer Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein says that after the projects with Universal Classic Monster movies fell through, the director is building his own monster universe, starting with the Shape of Water as his creature from the Black Lagoon. Dude. <laughs> right? That's awesome. Because right now, Del, Del Toro is working on Frankenstein. And so he did Shape of Water. He's working on Frankenstein right now. He's trying to build his own monster universe. Shape of Water is his creature of the Black Lagoon. I think this is awesome. Like, that's really all I got to say to it. I think this is awesome. I couldn't I couldn't think of a more perfect guy to be heading up the Universal Monsters universe. And uh, Shape of Water was such a good film. And uh, it really, when you watch it, it could be an unofficial sequel to the original creature from the Black Lagoon. Like, it just fits so seamlessly with that concept. And uh, I think his Frankenstein is going to be a beautiful film, especially when you think of Guillermo del Toro's other movies and uh, kind of the ethical and philosophical uh, conundrums that are brought up by just the Frankenstein story in general. And uh, no, this is this is awesome news. Yeah, um, it, it just makes me excited. Uh, speaking of other monsters, um, Kenneth Branagh uh, from Thor who directed the first Thor film um, is currently in talks to direct with Disney to direct a gargoyles live action motion picture. <laughs> it took you long enough. <laughs> I know. So the dream of getting a live action gargoyles film is apparently about to happen. So I think that's awesome. Um, I look forward to seeing what that is. These are probably in such early development They're They can move forward because they don't have any actors attached to them for some of these projects. Uh, because of the strike and everything, um, you can only move so far, but it's like, all right, we got to a point where we need actors, so we're going to have to wait. You know, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I thought it was a good live thing. action gargoyles will either be the coolest thing ever or it's going to be the corniest thing ever. But if they do it right, you could make such a cool uh, just movie franchise out of that. So, yeah, yeah. that's really exciting. Um, and then I usually don't. This is the last news story of the night. I usually don't discuss casting stuff where people are like, oh, I would like to do that. So you see like a casting thing where Tom Holland's yeah. like, oh, I would like to be in that movie. Or someone's like, you know, it'd be fun to be in a superhero movie. I think I'd like to play this character. I don't talk about stories like that because ultimately it's an it's an actor in an interview that someone said, have you ever thought about being in the Marvel Universe? Yeah, you know a character I always liked as a kid? And then the story is this person wants to play this character. Yeah. Um, I usually stay away from them because it's usually never going to happen. It's not actual news. It's like pipe dream stuff that we'll never get to see. So I don't talk about it. This one, however, 
I'm bringing up because I'm like, get this done. Okay. Jackie Earl Haley, who played Rorschach in the 2009 Watchmen film by Zack Snyder, has expressed his interest in playing the villain, the Mad Hatter, in Matt Reeves' Batman universe. I could really see that. Holy cow. Get that done. Matt Reeves, I know you're listening. So (sighs) Batman, whether the Mad Hatter is a part of this one or not, get it done for the third one. I swear. (laughs) Brilliant. Um and I don't know if he's expressed his interest to anyone specifically, or he's just, you know what, I'd like to play the Mad Hatter. So, no, that that's great. Um, he's such a cool, unique actor, and uh, it's funny because when I think of the Mad Hatter, I kind of think of uh, you think of the Batman comics, and you think of uh, Batman the animated series, and uh, he kind of has like a pretty cartoony. Uh, personality overall but and so you're kind of going like i don't know if i could see that actor playing him but when you think of matt reeves batman universe and how dark and real it feels like he could totally do that character and uh rorschach is such a good shout out um i wasn't a super big fan with the uh, of the uh nightmare on elm street uh reboot that he was in but he played freddy krueger very creepily and uh i don't know i think he can play a great villain so if that ever happens that really would be awesome but i think when you think of that actor and the kind of roles he's played and even his facial features and uh just kind of his general look i feel like he would fit so well within matt reeves batman universe so that's pretty interesting yeah Agreed. Um, That does bring us to the end of the news. So do you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, sure thing. All right, everybody. It is list time. So let's roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter, this was my pick. Um, I pulled this because we haven't talked about a specific actor's career in a while. Um, and I say in a while, like, yeah, I had my, our friend, my friend Erica and Adriana, we talked about Christian Slater, but you and I have not talked about an actor in a while. So I thought to myself, why not? Who's got a big body of work that we could discuss? And I was watching, shoot, what was I watching? Oh, I was watching, my son wanted to watch Poseidon. Um... Because he is massively into Titanic and boats and ship disasters and stuff. And I'm like, we should watch Poseidon. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, it's about a cruise ship that gets struck by a wave and people have to escape. He's like, yeah, let's watch it. Um, (laughs) And uh, Kurt Russell's in the movie. And I thought to myself, hey, we should do a Kurt Russell list. Um, So he had a lot of fun watching Poseidon, sure. But um, and it's not that long. It's not a long movie and it's not. Like the best movie ever, but it's a lot of fun if you just want a movie about a ship that gets struck by a wave. Um, but so I thought Kurt Russell would be a good actor to look at. And um, I, holy cow, my short list got getting longer and longer and longer. He's in a lot of really good stuff. Um, yeah. What's interesting about the short list is that he did a lot of television very early on in his career and then eventually like did started doing movies and stuff. Um, I have seen of Kurt Russell's movies, 29 of his films. Um, I don't know about you, but I've seen 29. 
I totally I, forgot I, to do I, a I count. You're probably like, I didn't think to count. <laughs> yeah, I, for, I forgot to do it this time, but I think mine was probably in the low 20s, I want to say, just imagining the list I put together. Um, but I actually didn't go through and count it. Um, <laughs> relating to uh, watching boat disaster movies with your son, um, when are you guys going to watch Ghost Ship? <laughs> yeah. Because that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, we got to get on that, let me tell you. <laughs> the first scene of that movie is awesome, at least. But um, no, this list, Kurt Russell, I found the list hard to put together just from the sense of... Oh, I found it incredibly easy. <laughs> so, yes, but in the sense of narrowing it down and deciding which movies I'm going to go with, which movies are going to be my honorable mentions. Like, it was really hard for me to make that distinction. And um, also just, um, I don't know, even trying to think of what order to talk about them in. Because there's a lot of Kurt Russell movies I really like. There's a lot of ones that I really love. And a lot of them are kind of on an even level for me if that makes sense um oh, okay. but with all that being said um i do have two honorable mentions um i don't know where you're sitting i with that. do as well so okay yeah. nice so i can jump into it yeah you got to go first anyway because it was my pick so what do you got yeah um so my first honorable mention i actually went with the movie stargate um Drew, maybe you think that this should be higher on my list, um, and maybe I think that as well. <laughs> it was kind of like right before okay. we recorded that I kind of settled on my final order, but uh, Stargate is a great science fiction movie. Um, it's kind of a classic for me. Like, it really takes me back to my childhood, because I remember as kids, like, we rented this movie and watched it as a family, and... Um, I don't know. It's just a really cool movie, and it's pretty, uh, it feels otherworldly, but I love how the Egyptian mythos ties into everything, and it has that, like, otherworldly, yes, yet familiar aspects going on, which I really love, but, uh, no, this movie's just great. It's hard to know where to begin, because I just feel like this one's just such a, uh, solid pick. And uh, I don't know if we matched or if you're going to bring this one up later, Drew. <laughs> and I'm not trying to spoil anything, but I don't know if you have any comments on Stargate at the moment is kind of where I was going right there. Yeah, so I can I can talk about Stargate. It's all good. So I think Stargate's a fantastic film in general. Um, in terms of science fiction, it's a really, really cool science fiction story in the sense that it covers uh, seed theory really heavily. Um, and you don't really get into the seed theory stuff until you really start digging into the show. But this movie spawned like a vast television show that ran for 10 seasons with two spinoffs. Stargate at start. Well, see, so we're talking about the show is Stargate SG-1 spinoff Stargate Atlantis, which ran for five. And then Stargate Universe with ran for two. So ultimately, it's 17 seasons of television. You have the Stargate film with Kurt Russell. And then you have um the two side films they have um arc of arc uh sorry stargate continuum and the arc of truth and when you're like three films 17 seasons that's huge but if you just look at this original film the idea of all the egyptian mythology how it plays into like you know cultural influence on earth to like the space stuff all the seed theory things um it's a lot of fun really cool technology 
interesting story to follow. Kurt Russell only appears in the um, uh, the uh, pr- film proper because he plays uh, Colonel Jack O'Neill, who will then be in the television show played by Richard Dean Anderson, which when you're like, why couldn't it be Kurt Russell? It doesn't really matter. When you start watching the show, it's totally fine that it's not Kurt Russell and then it's Richard Dean Anderson. You don't even miss a beat. You're just like, yeah, okay. Um, but the movie itself, it's just a, it's just a really good time watching a story that's going to make you think. Um, and it's got some great action, some great technology, a cool story. Um, the idea of Stargate, I, I'm a huge Stargate fan. I think it's a franchise that needs to be, should really be looked at a little closer, maybe a little more beloved. Um, I think it's underrated heavily when you put it up against other star franchises like Wars and Trek. Um, and I think we're personally, because of what's going on in the Star Wars world, and all the Trek stuff hitting Paramount, really think we're due for a Stargate reboot. And I don't want, like, a remake. I want, can we pick up Stargate real-time today? Like, where do we leave off? I really wonder if that's possible, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Good stuff. I love that show. I love that movie. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's what I got right now. Like, I could go on and on about Stargate, and I always... <laughs> And I had this really cool idea to do a Stargate podcast, like a, but I'd want to like a rewatch. So you do the entire show, yeah. right? You start with the original film and then you do every episode it, it, weekly, which that's like six years of content right there. If you wanted to do a Stargate show and I thought it'd be really fun to do, but I need to find someone who's never watched that way. You have one person, me, who's seen the show doing a show with someone who's never watched so we can go back and forth and like, what do we learn and all that stuff. And yeah, I think it'd be cool, but that's something for you and I to talk on another day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what, one more thing that I didn't really think about Stargate um, until we started talking about it is now it's been a bit since I've actually rewatched this first film um, in that series, but in my mind, I feel like it would hold up really well. It does. Because from what I remember, they were really smart about not overusing CGI. Like, you had CGI, but a lot of it went into the Stargates themselves and how those worked and uh, some of the alien tech and stuff like that. But as as far as my memory serves, I feel like they didn't overuse CGI. But also something about the design sense of the movie and uh, the combination between... Egyptian imagery and uh, sci-fi stuff, something about it, I feel like it still kind of feels really fresh. And I don't know if it was just a unique enough take on a sort of space science fiction story that hasn't been, like, you know, copied a bunch. I don't know if it's that, but something about it, I feel like it still feels like it's... There's, like, a timeless quality to the movie that... And I don't know if it's just me projecting, but I feel like there's a timelessness with some of the choices they made for that film, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I totally hear what you're saying. And yes, the movie does totally hold up. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Well, my first honorable mention is the movie Overboard. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> which, um, Overboard, uh, he tricks a rich lady into thinking that they're husband and wife, and it's kind of hilarious. 
<laughs> um, it's a rom-com about the rich lady played by Goldie Hawn who falls in love with Kurt Russell, the poor guy with the kids, and she basically fell off a boat and got amnesia, and um, he tricks her into thinking that they're together, and she ends up falling in love with him. And um, they did a remake with Anna Ferris uh, a few years back, um, which was okay, but ultimately I'm like, I prefer the original. Um, it's a really fun rom-com. Um, yeah, I, this movie's great. It's, it's one that I, and I didn't actually, I remember when I watched it, it was something I stumbled on. I was like, what's this? I don't know. Overboard? Okay, I'll watch it. You know, I didn't even, I, I just completely stumbled on it and I ended up completely loving the film. I don't, have you seen this movie? Yeah, um, this is a movie I feel like I caught on, like, TBS or something, like, a hundred times back in the day. <laughs> like, to me, it was one of those movies, so I don't know if I've actually watched it all the way through from start to finish, but I think I've caught parts enough that, like, I've seen the whole thing, if that makes sense, but, uh... No, this is a really funny movie, and it is a really fun film. Um, I think just because... I kind of saw it pretty young. I don't know if I connected it with the movie as much as I would if I watched it right now, but, uh, yeah, I've definitely seen this one and, uh, definitely a good call. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you have for your next honorable mention? Yeah. So, um, how many of these will match on, but go ahead. Yeah. So speaking of like criminally low picks, um, I actually went criminally with, low. uh, the, what's that? It's a criminally low, huh? <laughs> I actually went with uh, John John Carpenter's The Thing for uh, my next oh, pick, nice. and this uh, is my short list. So okay, this is one that I wanted to put higher on my list, but when it comes down to it, I've only seen The Thing like once or twice, and there was just some other movies that edged it out because it's like things I've rewatched a million times and stuff like that. But when you want to talk about just a classic, influential, just like great science fiction slash horror story like the thing is such a well put together movie it's very intricate it's something that you watch and uh it leaves you thinking and it leaves you second guessing because it's basically um about this group of uh this group of guys who are at like a research facility or i can't remember if it was military or research but and it's in alaska right i can't remember if it's alaska or uh Antarctica or where oh, it was. Oh, man, I'm drawing a blank on yeah. the location. But <laughs> it's in a, it's, a cold, snowy place cold. far away. <laughs> it is snowy and cold. <laughs> but basically, it's this situation where the people and, uh, you know, the animals, like they have a bunch of huskies and stuff, they're basically invaded by this uh, invasive, I don't want to spoil too much, but... I'll just say invasive alien species that sort of can mimic any living thing. And it plays out as this really suspenseful, cool story because while you're watching the movie, you don't know who's the actual character and who is kind of an alien mimic of the actual character. And it's one of those things where when the monsters in the film reveal themselves, it plays out as these really well-done practical special effect uh sequences you know this this movie is one of the highest acclaimed movie for just practical special special effects when it comes to people and animals like just morphing into these disgusting grotesque monsters on screen with tentacles and teeth and just weirdness and uh 
it's hard to know all what to say, but I think this movie has it all when it comes to the suspense, the intrigue of not knowing who is an actual person and who is a monster um, when it comes to how well done the practical special effects were. Like these are spec special effects that were done in the eighties and they're still being acclaimed today. Um, and then it's John Carpenter. So, you know, he put together like a really uh, creative musical score for the movie and stuff. And I think this movie is just a classic and uh, there's a reason why people are still talking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're making it hard to, um, nowhere else to go yeah yeah yeah. uh no this movie look dude this movie is terrifying and not only is it not only is it terrifying in the sense that okay it's john carpenter's a thing it's about an alien creature and you know all that stuff it's terrifying in the sense that like it's kind of gross too like it's an incredibly incredibly gory film about this alien creature that clearly could be anybody and anything and it's like absolutely nuts um Really, really cool movie. Hard sit the first time I saw it because of how gory it got. Um, I don't know if you thought so, but I was like, good Lord, this is crazy. So I, I hunted down this movie. Uh, I think I was in college and it was just it was at a time in my life where I was really into um, a lot of the 80s, like gory latex sort of movies like, uh, you know, Evil Dead or when it comes to like Peter Jackson's early movies and stuff. And uh, just because of being into that, I, you know, knew I heard about the thing like, oh, it's the greatest special effects ever. So I kind of rented it knowing that it was going to be super gory. And then I just loved that aspect of it. So <laughs> so at the time, not really. But you're right. Like it does have a lot of just gross out but delicious 80s gore stuff uh that's awesome so yeah um all right so my next honorable mention is the movie the executive decision um or it's just executive decision uh this is basically a movie about a plane heist um uh, it's an airplane heist when i say heist it's not like someone stole a plane it's the like airplane hijacking in midair um and Kurt Russell, he's a White House analyst. Yeah, he's a he's a White House analyst that deals with terrorists and specifically the terrorists that happens to be taking over the plane. So he kind of gets called in um, because he's an expert on this guy's character and all that stuff. And they're like, we need to know how to do this. We need to know how to take him down. You're the leading expert, blah, blah, blah. Um, Steven Seagal leaves the, leads the team. Kurt Russell has to go up with them and they use this stealth fighter to attach to the airplane and then get on the plane and then like try and take it over and fight the terrorists up there. It's incredibly unrealistic <clears throat> um, and completely far-fetched in some of the things they do. But at the same time, it's really cool. Like nice. there's a lot of just fun stuff that they do in the movie. Like even though it's unrealistic, you're kind of along for the ride. <laughs> This is fun. This is cool. I see what you guys are trying to do. It's great. Let's just play it out and, you know, let it be what it is. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I just think it's I, I had a lot of fun watching this movie back in the day. I just think it's worth a mention. So I don't know. Have you seen this? I don't think I've actually seen this one, so I'll have to check it out. But it sounds really fun. And I was actually just looking it up on uh, IMDb and it looks like it has a really fun um, cast and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Halle Berry's in it. Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal, John Leguizamo. Um, and I'm drawing a blank. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's just I just 
fun watching the movie. It was cool. Anyway, um, what do you got for me? First actual pick of the night. Yeah, my first actual pick. Um, this is kind of the pick that actually just edged out the thing, but I went with another John Carpenter movie, but uh, <laughs> a very different kind of movie, and that is uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, this is a movie that I've seen. I've caught parts of on TV a ton of times. Um, it's a movie that at some point during my adult life, I had to just rewatch from start to finish just to make sure I could put all the... Uh, all the sequences and order and stuff, but I've, I've prayed this praised this movie in the past because this is an over the top, um, kind of like, to me, it feels like a big comic book of a movie, but you have like Kurt Russell trying to, uh, I feel like if I remember correctly, he's trying to save the girl and, uh, he's fighting off like these crazy samurai characters. There's like this giant, like ape, like Wookiee creature he has to fight off at some point. And my favorite part about this movie is like, it's so over the top that it just makes you smile and it makes you laugh. But I love how the movie is, it's essential. It's essentially, in my opinion, an event, an adventure film where you're, in the middle of, uh, I believe it was New York. Like, I think you're in Chinatown, New York, but you go into the crypts and the sewers and the underground compartments that are underneath Little China, and you get kind of that sort of like Indiana Jones esque adventure story where you're going through all these crazy scenarios and fighting these really bombastic villains. And it's like something that never, as far as I know, <laughs> actually happens in the city like that. But it's kind of cool to take a kind of a more everyday place like your average, you know, city area and then build in this sort of exotic adventure into everything, if that makes sense. So uh, this one's just a really fun film. I've talked about it a lot in the past, so I don't want to go on and on too much, but it's just a cool movie and uh, just going on with or just going off of some of the stuff I've said about the thing, a lot of really fun latex, like gross out, like either gore scenes or just really funny parts. Like there's the one guy whose head gets inflated, inflated, like super massive. And that's like a fun latex effect. And then you've got like, uh, I remember one of the monsters in the movie almost looks like a uh, beholder from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So that's really awesome, too. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. Um, this this movie gets really weird and crazy and it's it's kind of ridiculous in a lot of just yeah. places. But it's just a lot of fun, man. It really is. It's like when you look at like and these neither one of these movies made my list, but like Escape from New York and Escape from L.A., they are ridiculous and crazy. The Snake Plissken nonsense is just like <laughs> a Big Trouble Little China. It's literally I feel like it's uh, Escape from Little China, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, but really, really cool uh, movie. A lot of fun to watch. Um, so good call. Um, so my next pick um we've all if you've if you've been listening to this show with us for a while you've heard me talk about this especially when we were doing our disney episodes a while back um my next pick is the movie miracle um about the 1980 olympics uh u.s defeating russia in hockey uh he played uh olympic usa olympic coach herb brooks 
Um, that's who Kurt Russell was in the movie. Um, really, really good movie. This is probably one of my all-time favorite Disney films. Um, I love it. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's one of my favorite sports movies. It's one of my favorite, like, it's just a really emotional film, but it's also just really fantastic um, on a lot of levels. Um, but I talked about it before. The movie is just so good. Like, everyone just needs to watch Miracle. Um, I don't know if you want to add to it, but, yeah, I've just gone on and on about it before on the show, so. No, no, we we did. Uh, we actually matched on this one. Uh, oh. I love this movie, too. Um, I don't think I have the same affinity or same level of affinity for it as you do, Drew, but sure. I do think this is a great film. I love that it's it's a historic film. You know, it's the story of, like, the U.S. versus uh, Russia during um, that Olympic year. And I love that this movie takes it takes a true story, but it plays it out in a way that's larger than life. And it's really like comes down to the cinema cinematography choices where they make this Russian how or this Russian hockey team feels like this just crazy existential threat for the Americans. Um, they do such a good job playing that stuff up. Um, and we've talked about this movie before, so I don't want to go on and on, but this is a great film. And I think it's, you know, I was just talking about Big Trouble in Little China, where that's like a really weird action, fantasy, comedy, whatever. And you have Kurt Russell hamming it up the whole time. But I think Miracle is a good movie when it comes to Kurt Russell's just acting chops and how well he plays the uh, coach for this movie and how he talks to his players and he the way he talks to them, you can just feel the um, just the convict the conviction and everything he says. And it's it's like he's speaking to his players, but at the same time, he's speaking to you. And uh, that's kind mm -hmm. of the cool that's one of the cool aspects of this movie is just kind of how well of a performance it was in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you want more talk on Miracle, go back to look at our Disney episodes. We did a long time ago. We did like we covered like, <laughs> Disney films. Uh, I also talk about Miracle in our sports movie podcast. Um, the movie's just amazing. It's one I haven't seen in a while, but I love this movie. So, all right, man. Um, I guess that throws it back to me, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So my the next one on my list is Backdraft. Um, such a good, intense movie about firefighters, and it's it's fantastic. Kurt Russell's great in this movie. Uh, De Niro's great in this movie. Uh, William Baldwin? It's William Baldwin, right? Yeah, he's great in the movie. Uh, the cast is stellar, um, but Backdraft, this is one that, like, I haven't seen in a while, but it's one that, like, kind of sits with you in terms of, like, the imagery and, like, how intense it was to watch them battle those fires and go through the buildings and stuff like that. Um, just a fantastic film, very well made, very well acted. Um, it was kind of more of a blockbuster. Like, I think they, it was like they were trying to make a movie about firefighters, but make it more of like an action film, if you will. And it sure was. Um, but the mystery in it's really cool. And you're like, who's the arsonist that's actually like setting these buildings on fire and the investigation into that stuff. Just a great movie. So. Yeah. Right on. Backdrop. I don't know what if you had anything to add to it or if you've even never seen this one. So. This is one that I've, um, I know I've seen most of it, but it's one of those things where it's, again, like being a kid and catching parts of it on TV and stuff. And everything I've seen, I really like. And I know it's like the, uh, 
I feel like this is one of those like firefighter films that like everybody references all the time. But uh, I guess what I'm really saying is I'm probably due for just a solid rewatch of this movie. <laughs> Cause uh, what I have seen was like a really long time ago. So. Oh, all right. Uh, so what do you got for me? What's your next one? Yeah. So uh, for my next pick, um, I went with uh, death proof. Um, or I guess you could say Grindhouse. Um, it depends on how you want to think about it. But you have I'm not Grindhouse. I'm Death Proof because of the way those movies were meant to be, like, together. But they're also separate when you look at how they're listed out. So Yeah, you had, um, theatrically, it was released as a double feature where you had Planet Terror by Robert Rodriguez and Grindhouse directed by Quentin Tarantino. Or not, or sorry, Death Proof. Uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino and it was presented in theaters as a double feature but it was kind of like it was one movie but then on DVD they released it as separate films you had Planet Terror as a separate film and Death Proof as a separate film and uh, it's kind of funny to talk about this one after uh, Miracle because (laughs) Quentin Tarantino actually said in an interview that I watched where he said Kurt Russell used to be Snake Plitzkin from, like, Escape from New York. He was the biggest badass action star. He, you know, he was just all about kicking ass and taking names. He was awesome. And uh, lately he had been in movies like Miracle and stuff like that. And Quentin Tarantino said he thinks Miracle is a great film, but he wanted to make uh, Kurt Russell a badass again is basically what he was saying. And that's kind of what he set out to do with death proof where he turns Kurt Russell into kind of this like serial. I mean, I guess serial killer could work, but basically he's kind of a dude who goes around and uh, hunts random girls down at bars and stuff. And he kind of just does it for fun. And he has this badass car and uh, he kind of just <laughs> chases down his victims. And the movie ends up playing, out where he ends up targeting a group of girls who uh, was kind of the wrong group of girls to mess with. And uh, most of the movie is a giant, just a giant car chase. And uh, there's a lot of funny ways that things play out. It's one of those movies where everything going on screen is so severe and so ridiculous that you're cringing. But at the same time, you're laughing and it has such a cool balance between suspense and humor when you watch this movie. But um, I just love it. And when it comes from like Kurt Russell has such a cool range of emotions because he goes from the, he goes from the character who's going to kill you, who is instilling fear in you to the guy that you just want to see in this car chase he 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 has like that action aspect but he also gets to points in this movie where you see the vulnerability of that character and it's really cool to see the storyline of his character play out and kind of uh that performance but this movie is kind of it's equal parts like it's tarantino so you know it's a really well-made film but then when you get to the end of it the film kind of just feels like it just it's just a big troll. Like it feels like you just had been trolled by watching that movie, but in the best way possible because you laugh at it and it's really fun. So I think that's what I like about this movie is the experience of it 
was so unique but so funny and fun like i just had to mention it you know you know what's interesting about the grindhouse films is like you watch grindhouse and it's or planet terror which yeah so it's grindhouse is the thing but you watch planet terror and it's completely ridiculous over the top zombie <laughs> monster nightmare gory yeah best and then you watch death proof which is about a serial killer which even they though they do the over the top blood gore violent stuff it is like a super serious kind of scary movie <laughs> yeah you know um and uh there were parts of that movie that i found just absolutely chilling to watch and i kurt russell is um incredibly like first off he's charming but he's also like incredibly like sinister and like you're like wow this guy's clearly the bad guy you know yeah so um really good pick um yeah, really good pick. Amazing movie. Um, yeah. All right. right so on. mine, um, I'll hit this one right now uh, since we already talked about it, and I'm going to throw it back to you pretty quick, but I chose Stargate. Um, nice. This movie was – it was funny because I'm not going to lie. I forgot about Stargate when I said let's do Kurt Russell movies. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, Stargate. And I was like kind of put a little tick mark next to it when I wrote it on my short list. And it was very quick to like, nope, that's making the list. So, yeah, Stargate. Um, nice. Yeah, that's all I got. So literally, like, it's just I don't have anything else, else to add. So. Cool, cool. Your call. Um, next pick. Yeah, I can go on to my next one. Um, I actually went with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So this is one of those picks where I don't know if I believe this is like the best made film that Kurt Russell has been in or anything like that. But I think it's just one of my favorites because I love the guardians movies. Um, this movie starts out with a de-aged sequence of, uh, Kurt Russell basically with, um, star Lord's mother on earth. And it's kind of a really fun. I it's weird to call it fun because of how the movie plays out, but it is like a really cool scene to see, as far as de-aging goes, I feel like Kurt Russell in this scene, like, I feel like they did such a good job of making him believably look like he did when he was much younger. And I thought that was so well done. And uh, it's funny to talk about this movie after Death Proof because that uh, de-aging sequence starts out with Kurt Russell driving a car with his... Uh, I don't know if they were married or if it was just his girlfriend at the time, but Star-Lord's mom who was uh, pregnant and it was, it's just funny to see death proof. And then like one of the next movies you see Kurt Russell in, he's driving a car right away and you're, it just immediately takes you back to death proof. So that makes me crack up, but no, I think Kurt Russell is a really good villain. Like he's obviously a good actor with everything we've been saying on this list, but I think him playing Ego in this movie was it was really cool to see because he really sold um, he was really selling his side of the story to Star-Lord. Like he was really saying, like, no, come join me, become a god, ignore all the evil stuff, all the careless stuff I've done and all the the bad stuff I'm trying to get you to kind of turn the other way and you know, kind of take part in, but you're going to experience power and you're going to experience everything you ever want. And he really like, he really played that angle 
in a really cool way because you could feel that father figure and that warmth aspect to him even though he was really the villain of the story you know and uh i just thought that was really well done i think um i'm trying to remember there was some other aspect i was thinking about but i can't it's kind of slipping away from me right now but drew what what are your thoughts on guardians of the galaxy volume two it's really guardians to look it's a marvel movie so obviously i like it and my butt was in the support and stuff I feel like it's such a outside the ball movie for Marvel that yeah. it's like one of my least favorite Marvel films because I felt it was so isolated in a world where we were wanting the big picture. It just felt so separated for the longest time. And I'm like, when is that going to get like discussed or covered or talked about? And here we are, Guardians 3 going, oh, hey, there's the Saffron and, you know, Adam Warlock and all that stuff we got to see. Yeah. Um, and why <laughs> that's fair. I, I think I kind of like that it's isolated though, because it helps, um, it helps the guardians movies stand alone as a trilogy, which I think is kind of really cool. And there's arguments about whether that's good or not, but I actually think it's cool. But, uh, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you too much. I didn't know if you were no, saying, no, no, no. um, I really like the movie, but I'm also like, it's, it sits in a weird place with me and Kurt Russell, like, yeah, he was good in the movie, but Eventually, he was just the big C- ball of CG, and I almost felt like he was too—he was too Kurt Russell in the movie. Like it's like they hired him because they wanted the big name for Kurt Russell. So like, you do you, like just do you. We don't really care how it plays out, you know. <laughs> so he didn't—it didn't feel like he was playing a character. Like he wasn't like acting so much as he was like, I'm Kurt Russell, and I was asked to show up today, you know. So um, I know it's That's- not like. I don't know. Like, that's just kind of my take on it, you know? That's an interesting criticism. Um, I honestly feel like I could say that about the majority of big Hollywood movies I've seen, though. Like, once I know the actor, like, a lot of times I just can't separate somebody's real-life persona from the character they're playing. And it's, it's kind of few and far between for me where there's, like, some actor who's so good that I can separate them from their real life uh, person. And so that is an interesting criticism of it. Um, and I agree with you to an extent, but I guess I'm just saying, I feel like personally, that's my takeaway with a lot of big Hollywood movies. So that's kind of why it didn't bother me a lot. Um, right. But but I do hear that as a criticism. Like, I don't know if his performance in Guardians is like his greatest performance. I think this is one that it sits high on my list just because of how much I like the Guardians movies. Um, The one thing that I was kind of forgetting to say earlier is that I do really appreciate the uh, how philosophical the entire plot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is. Like, I love the... uh, the existential conundrum of like, do I become a God or do I just keep being a guy? Like, do I keep being one of the guardians and going around on space on my ragtag adventures or do I become literally a God? And if I do that, am I okay with all the stuff that my father has done in the past? And I thought the philosophical aspects of the, of the plot were really interesting. And I feel like the movie doesn't get enough credit for uh some of those esoteric aspects of it but yeah that is an interesting um criticism so yeah that uh i i I do think you make some valid points there i guess is what i'm saying so yeah 
All right. Um, that throws it back to me. I've talked about this movie a ton, um, so I'm not going to go too deeply into it. Um, but And Kurt Russell's barely in the movie. He's only in a few scenes, um, but uh, so it kind of doesn't really count as a Kurt Russell film, but it counts as a Kurt Russell film in my book. And that's, uh, <laughs> Once, and that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Uh, he plays one of the film producers on the set, so he's you see him in a few scenes where he's like, dude, we got to go. We got to shoot like whatever. Or like there's an argument. And he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. You know, that kind of stuff. But it's I mean, it's ultimately Kurt Russell being Kurt Russell, because I feel like Tarantino is like, hey, we're friends now. Come do this thing and be in this movie for me. But I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I had a blast with it. I think it's a great movie. I loved watching all the like 1960s throwbacks and like that, like. It was like watching a movie in a time capsule, if you will, as you watch like how they like transformed Hollywood in 1969 Hollywood. Um, but I've talked heavily about how I like this movie, um, so I don't want to go too on too much on it. But yeah, that was my next pick for the night. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a really good movie. Um, I honestly didn't really remember him being in this movie, and that's a big reason why it didn't make my list. All but right. uh, it actually makes me feel better hearing you say that he was kind of. Uh, I don't know if he has, you said he was a director or a set hand or he was like, was, uh, but. I, he was like one of the, I don't remember if he was a producer or he was like one of the agents or something. Cause it was like, they were getting ready to shoot and he's like, all right, Hey, you got to come and do a thing. And his, his wife didn't like Brad Pitt's character. So it was like, he was kind of mad that Brad Pitt's character was even working on the movie. And he's like, dude, I'm going to throw you a bone, but stay away from my wife and all that nonsense. Like she doesn't know you're here. Like, you know, I'll keep it quiet as long as you behave and all that nonsense. And, you know, then Brad Pitt gets himself kicked off the movie and what? <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, man. What do you got for your last pick of the night? I have a feeling we matched because it hasn't been talked about yet. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, but uh, I actually went with Tombstone. Say, so did I. Anyway, go nice. ahead. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this movie a lot, and so that makes it hard to begin. We did a whole list of our top five favorite westerns. I think this topped our list when we did that, Drew, but Tombstone is a movie that was made, I mean, it's got to be like 30 years ago or something. It's like early 90s, I want to say, but it's a movie that people still point to as being the greatest modern western film. And uh, it's kind of crazy when you think of how much time has lapsed. And uh, to be honest, there hasn't been a ton of Westerns coming out between it, but there has been a good handful. But Tombstone is such a great movie and it deals with like Wyatt Earp. It deals with uh, Doc Hollywood. It deals with all those like sort of classic characters. And uh, I think it's just does such a good job telling the story and there's so many great character moments and stuff. And uh, I don't know. It's just a movie that lives on just for everything, like the way the story's structured, the way it's directed, um, but especially the actors, the way that the actors performances really gave you those character moments that kind of live on forever. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm keeping it pretty vague, but it's another one of those things where we've talked about this movie so much in the past, but uh, I don't know. What what are your thoughts well, here, we have Drew? talked about this movie heavily in the past, and it's interesting when movies come up again and again and again on this show, and you think to yourself, yeah. what haven't I said about it? And here's the thing. First off, this movie's fantastic. If you're looking for a good Western, everyone needs to watch this movie. But And this is a Western that I've watched 
many times. It's also one that like I will stop flipping channels. Like if I'm just cruising through TV for background noise and Tombstone's on, I'll stop because Tombstone's on. This is a movie that is like highly quotable. There's so many like one-liners that you remember and you quote along with it, and you're just like, "Ha, ah, love this scene." Or you stop and, you know, let's say you're you've seen the movie like a thousand times, but like you're playing with your phone and you're like, "Oh, hold on, I gotta watch this scene real quick," you know. <laughs> Um, whether they're scenes with Kurt Russell or the scenes with Val Kilmer playing Doc Holliday or whether they're both on the screen together. And then he goes on the rampage at the end to wipe out the Cowboys. And it's such a good movie. It just is from beginning to end. And um, it's it's great. I, I know that Wyatt Earp, it was funny because like this movie came out and then like I feel like shortly after this movie, Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp released. And yeah. I remember being like, I remember watching Wyatt Earp going, but the other one's better. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I it's... Re- like, I really enjoyed Tombstone better. And I don't know if it was Kurt Russell or it was the way the movie was presented or whatever. But, man, such a good movie. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact situations where you have two movies that come out at almost the exact same time with essentially the same story. And uh I think it's kind of unfortunate because I don't think there's anything wrong with the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp film. Like, I don't think that's a bad movie, but Tombstone had a level of realism and a level of grit and edginess that I don't think Wyatt Earp could ever compare to. And I do think Tombstone has stood the test of time because it's still the movie that we look back on. And like, like I said, I think Kevin Costner's Wyatt Earp, I think that's a well-made film but it never achieved the level of greatness of Tombstone. And there's a lot of moving parts from the cast. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Wyatt Earp probably wasn't rated R where Tombstone was. So it could get into a lot of the more gritty, darker aspects of the whole story and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of moving parts on how well Tombstone has been remembered and revered and all that. So that's awesome. Um, One thing I did want to mention, I did look it up while you were talking, Drew. Tombstone came out in 1993, so this movie is celebrating a 30-year anniversary this year, so that's pretty cool. 30 years ago, we watched Tombstone. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, this this movie's great. Everyone should see it. 30-year anniversary, so let's, uh, I think we need to start Tombstone viewing parties, to be completely honest. Uh, (laughs) Nice. Well, that does bring us to the end of this list. Peter, it is your pick for next week. What do you have for me to what weird concept do you have for me to dig through this week? So I realized that, uh, you know, I might be a week early on this, um, but San Diego Comic-Con is coming up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I want it. And it's huh? going to be an interesting Comic-Con because of the strikes going on. A lot of those actors are not allowed to make appearances. So I'm um, really kind of curious to what news we're going to get out of it. But go ahead. Yeah, but but we'll be talking about San Diego Comic-Con news next week. For a second, I, I second-guessed myself for a bit there because I thought it, I was getting stuff mixed up. But no, this is, this is correct timing. And I wanted to do something comic book related. And like you said, we might not be talking about Comic-Con much at all, <laughs> depending on how this all this writer strike and uh, different studios backing out of Hall H and stuff. This is going to be really weird to see how it goes forward. But nonetheless, I wanted to talk about comic books a little bit next week. And uh, this is another list that kind of focuses more on the visual art side of things. But I wanted to talk about our top five favorite 
comic book covers. So we've had oh, like our top covers? five favorite right. movie posters list. And uh, this is our top five favorite comic book covers. And uh, this is going to be a cool one because there is a handful of just classic comic covers. Like when you go back to, you know, the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko sort of days, when you go back to uh, like Neil Adams and some of the classic DC stuff, there's some really iconic covers that we can pull from. But at the same time, there's also a lot of weird stuff that we might be talking about that the other person might not even know <laughs> what they're talking about. <laughs> so I think this we this next uh, list is going to be fun from a wild card uh, point of view, uh, you know, if nothing else. So uh, this could be a really interesting list to go through just because, like, this is going to be tough. And I say that because there are so many comic covers that I that's true. Absolutely adore. Um, and being a audio podcast, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of discuss that with everybody, but I'm down. So let's give it a shot. So comic book covers, everybody, that'll be kind of a fun one to talk about, especially with San Diego Comic-Con news. You might be a week early, but I feel like your timing is so perfect that we'll be, that'll be our list while we're yeah. talking about Comic-Con news because it's this weekend. So let's see what news shakes loose, shall we? <laughs> um, or lack of news but yeah it'll be interesting we'll either way you will see what happens um all right so everybody peter i think we're done with tonight's episode you ready to toss that in the can yeah let's go for it all right everybody do us all a favor and check out our top, uh our website top five report.com there you'll find links to all of our social media twitter and facebook along with a link to our email top five report at gmail.com you can interact with the show there head us up on our social media either way works we are on uh Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Audible, and Amazon. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. Um, we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at NinjaPierre, and that's where I will be trying to unlock big head mode. <laughs> it's not that hard, man. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, that's it for everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.